27 years on this earth, Olivia Clement. Happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I made it. Made it to 27. This wasn't the uh, cold open you were expecting, was it? No, it was not. I didn't think we were going to bring it up at all, especially because by the time this, this episode actually comes out, it will be like a month after my birthday. No, mom. It'll be like two weeks. It'll be two weeks. Okay. So it'll be two weeks after my birthday. People know that your birthday is in September, but they don't know what day in September. They don't. We shall not disclose that. No, because that's actually really crucial information. Although if you follow me on social media, you saw. So. Yep. They can find out if they really want to. They, They can find out. You can add me on Facebook, I guess. If you really, if you really want to. Add me on Snapchat. No. I'm not, I'm not on Snapchat. Are you on Snapchat anymore? No, I deleted it probably like three months after I moved away from Arkansas. Really? Was that, yeah. um, that was like after, right after college, I deleted mine right after college. Yeah. It was pretty soon after college, mostly because the only people, I think really the only people I talked to via Snapchat were like you and maybe two or three other people. And I think we all just kind of stopped right around the same time. And so I, I was like, I don't need this anymore. And honestly, it's probably saved me by not having it. Cause when I worked at Nike, a lot of people got in trouble for stuff on uh, Snapchat. Like they would talk trash basically about the managers and then the managers would find out and get super pissed and had a really hard time separating out stuff, stuff outside of work from work. And so a lot of people got in trouble for stuff that they said on Snapchat. So it was probably best that I didn't have one. Did, did a bunch of them catch like sharp Nike emblems in the chest, like batarangs? Right. Yes. Imagine that's, that that's, was the punishment that, if you work at Nike. That was the punishment. Yeah. Okay, cool. Just yeah. So it was like so long, and I'm really glad you confirmed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they are very sharp. I I've personally never experienced them because all the managers loved me and I didn't really get in trouble. So I never personally experienced one to the, arm or chest or anything but i i've picked one up and, the knee. and have to the yeah no they uh, didn't sweep the leg with me or anything so <laughs> that's good question oh, about before we leave the topic of birthdays do you get kind of self-conscious on your birthday yeah 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 i do i don't know what it is uh part of me feels kind of weird when people tell me happy birthday because it's a day that's supposed to be about you, but that's feels so foreign to me. And I don't know how to address that. Whenever people are like, Oh, happy birthday. It's like, all right, cool. Thanks. And then what do you do? What do you, where does the conversation go after that? Yeah. Because not every person who wishes you happy birthday is someone who is, I mean, equally made an impact like in your life. And so some people it's like, I mean, everyone, you just got to like tailor a response and it's kind of, exhausting especially if you are working a demanding job and have a lot of stuff going on like moving so yeah so it it's it's weird i thankfully didn't really have any clients yesterday i had to make a couple phone calls to some clients but other than that i didn't have any sessions which made for probably an easier birthday than what i've had in years past but yeah it's just it's weird so do you get self-conscious on your birthday i do um I remember you, you called me on my birthday this year and really, really enjoyed our conversation. Cause we just talked about a lot of stuff and hadn't had like a, you know, one-on-one conversation in a while, uh, outside mm-hmm. of the podcast. 
And I really appreciated that. But yeah, that was, I mean, I think, I think birthdays are continuing to get more and more strange and it's probably just the dread of self-existence. <laughs> the the existential crisis that comes with getting older. Yes. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. So it's, it's weird. Uh, I don't feel 27 in a lot of ways, but my back feels 83. So yep. my neck feels you know. 93. <laughs> no, what it is? I think it's the way I slept for sure. It was. Oh yeah, absolutely. I was sitting. Yeah. I was doing research for Little Woods and just kind of looked over to the left because our cat came in the door of my office and I went, uh, "Ow!" <laughs> and I don't know what it. I don't know what it is. My neck never hurts. Oh, getting old, man. Yep. But I just want to tell you, I'm really thankful that we started this, and you're a wonderful human, and yeah that we had this dumb idea to start a podcast about Scott Pilgrim. And, and here we are all these years later, talking all these years later, all these a year, year and a half later, all these years later, all these months later, all these months uh, days. talking. I say years. I think I said years because we've known each other for years. Yep. Like we're a year away from knowing each other for, for 10 years or close to being 10 years. Yeah. I guess. Wow. And, that's weird to think about. Yeah. Not not in terms of our relationship, in terms of getting old, like we were talking. Ah, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. But thank you. That's really kind of you. Those are very kind words. I appreciate it. I'm thankful for you. Absolutely. Anytime. So, that's what I'm here for. That's what you're here I, for. I think we should kick it off. I'm kick Isaac it off. Smith. Yeah. Well, I'm Olivia Clement. And this is Flyover Film Country a podcast about movies set in oft-forgotten places by Hollywood. In our continuation of our Flyover Essentials series, we're covering 2018's Little Woods. This film follows Ollie, who's played by Tessa Thompson, who has illicitly helped the struggling residents of her North Dakota oil boomtown across Canadian health care, access Canadian health care, and medication for years. When the authorities catch on, she plans to abandon her crusade only to be dragged in even deeper after a desperate plea to help her sister, who is played by Lily James. So uh, this, okay, I, I want to start with this. IMDb described this as a Western, and I thought that was a very interesting way to describe this movie. Do you agree with that? I think I do because there's there's something about there's something about Little Woods that isn't quite a drama. It is mm-hmm. it is a drama, but there's something about it that feels a little bit more like dusty and lived in mm-hmm. and kind of like weary. And I think yeah. western like true westerns kind of capture that this sense mm-hmm. of wilderness. Like true yeah. it um captures that really well because they're on the road and you never really get a sense of place in this movie. You the characters go to different locations, but there's mm-hmm. ne- like nowhere really feels like home or a place of security because there's always some kind of threat or um imposing force. So, I think that's I feel like that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah, they described it as a modern western, which I I hadn't really thought of it like that and I I had read that before I started watching the movie last night and I so I had that in the, my head as I was watching it and I thought it was 
I think that, yeah, I think that's fair. But I was just, I was just curious. So we'll get into some facts about the movie real quick. Uh, this was written and directed by Nia DaCosta. This was her de- uh, directorial debut. And you have seen her newest movie, right? Yes, Candyman. So Candyman. yeah, so she directed Candyman, Candyman, which just came out. So tell us, tell us about that. What was that like? I liked Candyman a lot. Um, there, the, the thing I didn't like about it was that it was a little bit self-expository and like a lot of characters were explaining the plot, the themes, which well, well like it was kind of over the top in that regard. Like you, the, mm-hmm. the characters are going to talk about, um, what's motivating them and what's going on. But it felt even like right off the bat with Tayana Paris, um, kind of like immediately like gentrification, gentrification, gentrification is like, okay, okay. We get it. We get it. Like you can mm-hmm. keep you can keep going. Um, that's really like the only knock I had on it. She has an incredible sense of style and she gets amazing performances from her actors. Um, and Candyman wasn't terrifying. So I think you might actually like it because you definitely do, do not like horror movies. I do not. Yeah. So, so it wasn't scary, but it's not, it's not like conjuring too scary. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cause the trailer looks terrifying. Yes. Yeah. The tra- the trailer is a little bit more scary than the final product, but that's not okay. a knock. It's more like harrowing. Um, you kind of feel unsettled afterwards. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, I, maybe I could watch it. Uh, we'll, we'll see if I actually watch it, but, uh, yeah, it's that Candyman has a good cast in it. And it, Nia DaCosta is also going to be directing the Marvels, which is the Captain Marvel sequel. And so that's going to have Brie Larson, of course. And then Tiana, Tiana? Uh, is it, Paris? I think it's Tiana or Tayana. I don't, I don't Tayana. know. I'm probably saying so, the way our Kansans would say it. Probably. Yeah. We're probably yeah. saying it the way our Hick, Hick selves would say it. So she, and she was in WandaVision, which we've talked about. And then, obviously she was in uh, Candyman, so very excited to see her in that so yeah i mean so so nia DaCosta has two heavy hitters out off the bat i mean with little woods and then with Candyman, that that's really really something to add to your resume and then you're you're gonna do a marvel movie which is pretty impressive so so yeah i i we don't i don't really know a whole lot about her personally or i haven't read a whole lot about her so, um, but anyway, so this movie also stars Tessa Thompson, Lily James, like I said, James Badgedale and Lance Reddick, who was not in the movie very often, but Lance Reddick is amazing. And I felt like we need to talk about him. Yep. He, so. he has a great, he has some great scenes. Um, real quick, DaCosta went to, um, New York university film school. Oh, Mm-hmm. that's really cool i that's i did not know that ish school of the arts um partially because get guess which like um which mainstay filmmaker of like the last of this of our generation and um the 70s 80s and 90s inspired inspired her it's not who you would think it's not who i would think mm-hmm. so so um, i don't know that like, like new york director like you think of New York. It's not. Think, it's not Spike, is it? Nope. Is Scorsese. it Scorsese? Scorsese, yeah. Okay. Which I think it's great. She loves. She loves Goodfellas and in all of and all basically like all of his movies from what I can tell, and what I've read oh. her, which I think is cool. That's awesome. 
And it kind of shows yeah, in Little I Woods. I mean, go ahead. I was just going to say it kind of shows in Little Woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think so too. And yeah, I'm just, I'm excited for us to talk or like actually talk about this movie, but I'm going to go run through these other facts real quick, just to highlight them. Cause I really want us to focus on the discussion. So it was filmed in Texas, but set in North Dakota, which is really interesting to me. Cause I can't imagine at what point they actually like what time in the year they filmed this because it looks like it's really cold because it's North Dakota, but Texas does not get, get cold anywhere. Like, north dakota does so i imagine they were probably really hot while filming and in total it it grossed fifty seven thousand six hundred and ten dollars in the u.s opening weekend and then worldwide like after its whole theatrical run it grossed a hundred and 171 dollars what is wrong with me oh my gosh uh, one hundred seventy-one thousand nine hundred twelve dollars world worldwide. So not didn't make a whole lot of money. Uh, and I couldn't find how much the budget was for this film. I don't know if you could find it anywhere, but I I could not find it. Uh, I found one source that said it was the budget was eleven million dollars, but I don't know how reliable that source is. So um, it also opened in April of two thousand eighteen at the Tribeca Film Fest, which is a really big deal. Not just any movie gets to go to the Tribeca Film Fest, so that's really cool. She was um, twenty-seven when she, she was in her like kind of around our age. Whenever this went to Tribeca too, and I wonder, I just wonder with financing, like if it didn't, if it didn't make back its budget, say if it what it did, if it was made on an eleven million dollar budget, just how I mean, like it, people, people were like Nia Costa, like. Mm-hmm everyone knew this is something someone we have to look out for. And I think that this was pretty instrumental in her getting those high profile projects that you just described. But I, I just wonder about like the financing, if they like know that they're going to take a loss on mm-hmm. box office or, or what. Yeah. Well, and I think that this is one of those films that it's not going to be a movie that everyone enjoys or everyone wants to even see it's, it's not super fast paced. The, I mean, the topic is, is controversial for sure, especially right now, given the things that are going on in Texas. And so, so I can see how not that many people would be interested in going. And I think at the time, Tessa Thompson and Lily James weren't, they, they were coming up. And I think a lot of people who paid attention to film and, and the industry knew who they were, but I don't think that they were, quite as popular like tessa thompson especially was not quite as popular as she is now so um anyway all right isaac tell me what are your initial thoughts and impressions of this film um it was sad Mm -hmm. uh did you watch never rarely sometimes always no i haven't had a chance to watch that yet but i saw your review on on uh letterbox of this and you mentioned that movie yeah. So for people who don't know what that movie is about, tell, tell us what that movie is about. Never rarely, sometimes always, if I'm not mistaken, is, or, or the factoid to which I was referring to the, my hope that I was not mistaken is I think that it's about a girl who I think lives in um, Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and abortion is illegal um, in, in there or whatever her hometown is. And she goes to New York to get an abortion and from there, there are just a lot of, there's 
it's it's it was very very hard to watch um just in terms of acting and you kind of realize different things that happen um in the girl's hometown and her relationships and how how women's relationship to healthcare is dishonest especially in um pro specifically pro-life states with um you know planned or what what would be like the reverse of a planned parent mm-hmm. parenthood uh, agency and they lied to her about where she was in her um in her pregnancy her timeline they said that she was um like a month behind of what she actually was and she finds that out when she goes to a clinic in new york city so this movie is different from that in that this is about basically how like the flyover country communities do not have access to healthcare or jobs or affordable housing. It's about, it's about a lot of things, but it kind of hones in on uh, Deb the character played by Lily James, her experience trying to get an abortion because her, her guy's not going to show up and she knows it and they don't mm-hmm. have, they don't have an opportunity to have a strong family unit. So it's about a lot of things. I think, yeah, I think that that poverty is a real big theme in this. And I mean, my next question was, what do you think the major themes are? And so I think that's a great segue into it because it's it's a small town. It's a boom town because oil's there. But at the same time, you see all like like you see how Ollie Tusted Thompson's character goes to what looks like kind of like a rec center, but, but men are living there and they don't really have their own place. She's about to lose their, their mom's house because she can't afford, she can't afford it. And she's working odd jobs because there's not a job to be had. Uh, Deb is a waitress, but it's at some local diner and she's not going to make more than uh, probably less than minimum wage, honestly. And so and and she deb and her son are living in a tr- like like an actual rv not even a trailer house but an rv and in a parking so, lot yeah in a parking lot not even in, at an rv park but a parking lot and, and so poverty i think is the big theme here and everything else is a symptom of so it's really fascinating to, to think about it. And, um, I, I think at one point, uh, like, yeah, Lance Reddick's character, officer Carter, who is Ollie's parole officer tells, asks her, do you ever think about leaving? And, you know, when, when, so like right now in Texas, it's a big thing because they have now passed an abortion law or anti-abortion law where you can't have an abortion if you more, are more than six weeks along, which is really interesting to think about because most women don't know that early anyway. And a lot of people online on the, on the East Coast and West Coast and, and in more liberal and pro-choice cities and states are often like, well, why do you guys just stay there? Like, why would you stay in those places? And, you know, I think that's a stupid question for lots of reasons, but no one ever stops to consider the costs of moving. Because, I mean, we can't move to LA. I say we, I can't move to LA. 
Like I can't afford to live in LA. Uh, the the apartment I just moved into is a one bedroom apartment, and this same apartment in LA would cost at least twice as much, and it probably wouldn't even have a washer and dryer in it. So, so when these, it, it's almost like elitist, I think, and I think that people in middle in the middle class and higher up, as far as so, socioeconomic status is concerned, don't think about the the cost financial and otherwise of leaving these, these places. I don't know. I kind of went on a tangent there. What are, you, what are your thoughts? I think that, I think they do an interesting, I mean, Canada is a recurring, not theme, but is just mentioned multiple mm-hmm. times throughout the movie, because that's where, um, when the movie begins, there's this great shot of, of Tessa Thompson walking down the road that was, you find out later is patrolled by um, the police for people trying to cross illegally into Canada um, because this, this oil boom town is built right, right near the country border and Canada is kind of, it's Canada is kind of set up as a, like, they do it right. They do it right over there. You can go, you can go get what you need as a woman. You can go like, there are more opportunities to get a job and all that stuff. Um, and, or even like, so the, the people that she, that Ollie Tessa Thompson's character ends up selling opioids to are people who need the medicine. That's, that's kind of one of the things like they, they're hardworking blue collar guys who ha- like one of the guys, the first guy that you see at the beginning of the movie, his leg is completely messed up and he needs some kind of relief in order to keep working because he doesn't have uh, vacation days or time off mm-hmm. where he's still paid, where he can take, take rest time, recover, and then come back and work. It's like his job's not, his job's not set up that way. Um, so he has to, he, everybody in this movie is literally forced to, uh, take desperate measures because everybody is desperate and it's because of, because the, the law is set up for no one to win in, in the story. And, and there are, there are like, um, a couple characters who it's clear that they have just accepted defeat because of their circumstances. I'm thinking specifically of James Badge Dale's character, Ian, who is, the father of Deb's little boy and the, her, their second son that, um, that Deb ends up having, um, an abortion because she knows she can't give that baby a, a good life. Um, mm-hmm. so it's just, everybody is either forced to take desperate measures or they've just kind of accepted that this is how it is. And I'm not going to, I'm not even going to try anymore. Right. And, and you see that really moving conversation between Ian and Deb when, she, when she tells him she's pregnant again and he's like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to do better. I can do better. I'm going to try. And she has this look of defeat and says, no, you won't because he won't. Now I believe that people can change. I believe people can do better, but with the way things are right now, no, currently in that moment in time, no, he was not going to be able to do better. And that, I don't know, I, I was thinking about, you know, on the cusp of everything going on in Texas, but also that's, that's not that, you know, different from what Oklahoma and Arkansas and Kansas and the South and the, you know, the Midwest, like the, that's, 
the mindset people have of like, well, why wouldn't you want to have the baby? And it's like, well, okay, great. Have the baby, but how can we help these women who don't have help, who don't have a two income household, um, to, to support said child. And that's, that's what's, you know, Deb has to make the decision of, I can't provide for this kid. If I have a, I can barely provide for the kid I have. And she knows it's not a great life for her, the son she already has. So why would she bring another one in? And you see it in that moment. Um, the, every, every performance in this movie is really, really good. Um, but I want to take a second to celebrate James Badgedale, one of the great under underappreciated character actors um, in Hollywood right now. And just in that moment, you can, where he's crying and he's holding Deb, uh, Lily James, all the history is there. You can see it mm-hmm. in Deb's face. You can see it in the way that he's acting. Um, they, there, there's so much where you just, you kind of understand, you understand what's happening. Um, yet one of the things I really appreciate this movie, as opposed to, you know, a similar movie like the Florida project mm-hmm. is where it's, it's just kind of a DaCosta does a great way of, or does a great job of just presenting it with you and seeing like, you're, this is what it is. Not necessarily like you're here, like Sean Baker in the Florida project does a shaky cam makes you feel like you're kind of there. And it's mm-hmm. kind of terrifying that you're in this little girl's position living in a motel um, with a mom who's selling her body um, to, to men outside of Disney world. It, it's just like, they're, they're very similar movies, but the way that they execute them is, is very different because you just kind of understand what's happening in the, in little woods, because it's the universal, um, the universal theme of like just safety and security as a human. Like I I don't Mm -hmm. feel secure. And I feel like that's what DaCosta is really nailing. Yeah. I mean, if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, safety is, is the basic one, right? Like, like shelter and food and clothing, which is what all of these people so desperately need and and desire so they can't even think about the fact that they they need to go see a doctor or you know they they need to work these things out with their families like that they can't even think or process those things because they're so concerned about okay where am i going to get my next meal how am i going to provide for my kids um you know how am i going to continue to work if i if i don't get you know medicine of some sort to help with my, you know, busted up leg. And and the thing is, is like the working in the oil field is very, very hard. I, I mean, I, I've got two cousins who work in the oil field. Uh, my dad worked in the oil field and he still works in that industry, and, but he doesn't have to go out on the, like on a rig, but it's, it's tough. It's very difficult. It's not for the faint of heart or by any means, because you have so much going on. And if you screw up, not only could you hurt yourself, but you could hurt someone else and you could possibly like kill someone. Uh, so there's a lot riding on it. And because the oil industry is so up and down at times, when, when work is going, you got to work. You can't take any time off. So going to the doctor and wait or going to the ER and waiting for six hours isn't really an option. And, and 
you know, so it, it also, I mean, this movie also hits on it, not quite as much, but it also, I think just kind of highlights the opioid epidemic that's happening because it's so much easier to just pop a couple of pills of oxy and then be good until you got to do it again. And then it develops, you know, these habits. But if we don't give people proper access to medical care, what else are they supposed to do? Yeah. I mean, it's going in the topic of healthcare is one I have been privileged to have good jobs and that jobs that pay part or the total of the premium uh, that Mm -hmm. gives me what I need. And, um, (laughs) I think that healthcare is one of the main, or, you know, healthcare is, I guess, not as an industry, as an industry, it's improperly benefited by capitalism to where capitalism, like, um, you know, like universal healthcare is a product in many countries because of non or or heavily regulated capitalism or Mm non-capitalistic societies. Um, and I mean this movie and never rarely, sometimes always. And there, there are plenty of like some of them comedy, um, like, like pregnancy or abortion movies, um, that, that comment on this and, um, and some of them more harrowing than others, but I don't know. It, it's, um, it is, it's sad to see, and it's sad, sad to see Lily, Lily James character ask it costs or say, it costs $8,000 to be pregnant. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that hit me. Cause yeah, it's like, I don't have that in savings, but I have a job that could pay for that over the course of a year mm-hmm. if my wife got pregnant. So, yeah. I, I mean, like I, I thought about that of like, what, what would happen if I were to get pregnant unexpectedly? And I, I was like, well, I have family who would help me out, but Deb doesn't. I mean, Deb and Ollie's mom, uh, you learn in the movie that they, their mom died shortly before, I guess, the start of the movie. And they have each, they sort of have each other, but you can tell there's a strain on that, their relationship. They're not super tight, um, but they, neither one of them can financially support the other, especially since Ollie's trying to get out of the, the, drug running business um and and ian ian can't help he he can't do it he just cannot step up to the plate and do it so deb is kind of on her own in so many ways and and so so yeah i mean what other option does she have whereas you know i have super good for like like my family would help me my parents would help me i have great people in my life who would support me and help me and i think that that's just it's a privilege that I have that not everyone has. And I recognize that. And so, so yeah, I I think that people often are like, well, why would anyone want to do that? And I don't, and and I don't know if that's always the question or the right question, because I don't know if how many people want to have an abortion. Although I know there are people who are like, yes, I would want an abortion. No questions asked, but there are so many factors to consider that we only focus on one. And that's, that sucks. Cause we were, we're missing so much of the puzzle at that point. I don't know. Yeah. And I think it's important to note too, that 
that this story is is really about you know scarcity in general and like mm-hmm. like we like we said earlier no one's really secure and safe like the 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 dark night of the soul moment for this movie is when they're when deb's trailer gets taken and impounded because ollie mm-hmm. had hidden all of their money that and they were that close to paying off the house um and it was all gone and it's like mm-hmm. that's and the reason that it was gone was not even because it was impounded, but because someone went through it. Mm-hmm. It was probably also as desperate, desperate as they were mm-hmm. and took all their money and all the other opioids probably to, to sell. So, yeah. 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 And I don't think people realize how difficult it is to, to move socioeconomic status, like move from one class to the next, like, if you're in poverty, it's, it's nearly impossible to get out of, like to get out of poverty. Um, it's it, not to say that you, it can't be done cause it can be, but it, I don't know. It, it's just really hard. And this is something that we, I, we talked a lot about in one of my classes in grad school. Um, because a lot of, a lot of therapists work in community, community mental health, especially right out, right out of grad school. And they work with clients who are often in very different situations than they've ever experienced themselves. And, you know, if you have to do home visits, you see people and you have to meet them where they are or else you're never going to be able to really work with them. And so like with, you know, with this family, it's, it's not about trying to get them to process their like abandonment issues or anything like that. No, they like, their resources are scarce. How can we give them better resources or, or help them find better resources? And you're right. Like they're just desperate. And I don't think people realize how, how much of a toll that takes on someone when you are desperate all the time. Yeah. And, and like, I don't know, I'm tempted, I'm tempted to open the can of worms. That is like a lot of people argue, well, you, (laughs) you shouldn't have had sex with someone who you weren't ready to, you know, have start a life with or like, yeah, Mm -hmm. start, start a life and raise a, a life together. Mm -hmm. And that that's also a narrow minded judgmental way Mm -hmm. of thinking that a lot of people specific, specifically evangelicals can't really Mm -hmm. get their heads out of the space of what, um, is, you know, written in the Bible. Um, and, 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 and like the, the philosophy that every human is made in the image of God. Um, Mm -hmm. and I believe that. So I believe that you believe that. Um, and Walter believes that as a matter of fact, and, but there's, but there, that's not the point. The point is, um, the point isn't, you shouldn't have had sex with someone that and gotten pregnant by someone who's not going to help, help you or, Mm -hmm. you know, help take care of this, of this baby. The, the, the point is, like why like every american is entitled to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and if mm-hmm. in a, in a lot of places where teen pregnancy is really high arkansas arkansas for starters <laughs> um oklahoma it's because sex education is not taught in schools and so mm-hmm. they no one knows about or teens don't know about birth control teens don't know about condoms and mm-hmm. It, that's where it starts. It's and it's like a Christians on uh, very often put themselves in kind of enforce like, well, everybody should live by 
these mm-hmm. mandates and no one should have sex before they get married um, rather than everybody is made in the image of God. And therefore, whether or not you believe in God, you are entitled to the resources that you need if you get pregnant or and you should know yeah. this will keep you from getting pregnant. Yeah. And again, birth control is expensive. Like that's another yes. form of healthcare that, that, you know, wants to be highly regulated or like that people want to be highly regulated. And it's like, okay, cool. But if you guys don't want to have more abortions, what if crazy idea, what if we allowed birth control to be more freely accessible or condoms? You know, uh, I, I don't know if this is the case everywhere, but I know at the Walmart that is closest to my new apartment, I was there just earlier and I was in kind of the, the, like, it's like the, the shampoo and conditioner area, like the pro like the health product area, you know, and the, I saw the condoms and they're like behind a, a lock. You like, you have to go get a sales associate and say, Hey, I would like to buy these condoms, which Okay, great. Buy the condoms. I don't want people, I would not want to have to ask someone for condoms. And like, that's the thing you're worried about getting stolen. There are so many other things in that store I would be more concerned about than that. I, I would much rather people steal condoms than steal something else. I don't know. Anything else. I think that it would be interesting to look into like the, like the, <laughs> This is this is a nerdy thing to say, but like the supply chain um, mm-hmm. implications of like if you if you have two boxes, two large boxes that hold like fourteen condoms each, if you get two of those stolen, like how much how much, how much that store loses out on the revenue from from those two boxes because like per per condom condoms are very expensive or or mm-hmm. like or you know it's it basically co- costs like a dollar fifty to have sex. If you, and, and that's like a crude way of putting it, but that's, that, that's kind of the reality. That's the reality. I think of it like every time I buy some, it's kind of, I don't know, it's just a, it's an interesting thing to think of, but you're right. Mm-hmm. Like those, you always have to ask someone to get those unlocked. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, morning after pills are like really expensive too. Yeah. I forget, I forget how much they cost. I don't know if you know off the top of your I, head. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I think they're like 20 or 30 bucks though. Mm-hmm. I think they're expensive. Yep. It's more than I would ever want to actually pay for it. Yep. I know that much. See. Um, see, yeah, but I'd rather have to pay, you know, a dollar 50 for a condom or 20, 30 bucks for a morning after pill than 8,000 for a baby that I did not want or try to plan for. Yep. So, you know, Pick your poison, I guess. Yep, exactly. What um, what scenes in this movie were your favorite? Oh, my my favorite scenes. I really liked the scene between Deb and Ian, which we talked about earlier, where she was just like, "You're not going to change." Um, I thought one scene that that really stuck out to me was when is is Deb's son? Is his name Johnny? They called him Bear a whole lot. Yep. Well, I don't, I think maybe I just remember Bear. I don't remember Johnny. Maybe, maybe it is just Bear, yeah. which would surprise me. So whenever Ollie comes into the living room and sees Deb and, and Bear sitting like asleep on the couch, Bear gets up and crawls into her lap and looks at her and is like, you're, you're tired. You should go to sleep. 
it, that was really sweet because I think that we often think kids don't pick up on things, but man, kids are so, they're so perceptive and they know, even if they don't really understand, they know something's off. And, you know, I, I was thinking about how all of this is impacting him and I don't know. I don't know why I do this. I guess it's probably my, my psychology background. I, I often think about how does this stuff impact this character and what is that character going to be like as an adult? And so I just wonder what is, you know, what is Bear going to be like as an adult going through this? Not really being sure what's going on, but knowing something's off. So I don't know. Do they, um, I'm trying to remember what happened. So I remember at the end, um, Ollie ends up taking the job in Spokane, right? Mm-hmm. And Deb and Bear are going to stay? I think so. I don't know if it wasn't, I don't, it wasn't decided. I don't think that Deb was like, I'm going to go with you. I don't think Ollie invited her with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you see her at the end, she gets that phone call and is very excited about getting the job in Spokane, which, which really I think is probably best for her anyway. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Deb and, and Bear are just going to stay there, which will bring on, all sorts of new challenges, I think, for everyone. Um, but yeah, so what scenes stuck out to you? Um, I I loved the scenes of them coming in and out of Canada, just like really iconic. The oh yeah, stone the stone demarcator um, showing like you're crossing into the you're crossing into the, the Canadian over the Canadian border. Um, I really really loved the first scene too, where Tessa Thompson buries the pills mm. and then that she had brought over from Canada. And then she, you see the uh, Ranger truck turn around, drive back towards her and she starts running. And the whole while the camera is moving toward her physically, but the lens is um, like zooming back. So mm. it creates this really, really, palpable sense of tension and you're just you can't look away and that's 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 that sort of shot is used a lot um most notably in jaws with i think roy scheider his character just kind of like it's zooming in on him it was a cool school shot definitely yeah ones i remember the most and like a lot of the landscape shots in this movie were really beautiful too Mm-hmm. Yeah, that specific shot at the very beginning, it, it builds that tension and then she wakes up and part of me was like, wait, was that actually a dream or was she just having a nightmare flashback scene to what actually happened? And I think that, that it was the latter. But yes, it built a lot of tension. The I agree with you that the lands, landscape shots were were really cool. It Even though you knew it was in North Dakota, it felt like it could have been anywhere. Mm-hmm it felt like a, a kind of a dusty town you would see anywhere. Um, and I, and I don't mean that rudely. Like, I don't mean just a lame dusty town, but I, I mean it in a sense of like, that could have been any town in flyover country essentially. So, um, I really liked that. Something that stuck out to me as well was the soundtrack. Did you pay attention to that at all? Yep. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, the songs were clearly about, working mm-hmm. class people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I liked it. I liked the soundtrack a lot. Yeah, I did too. I felt like the very first song you hear is 
working woman blues and it's it plays as ollie is is getting coffee and laundry and food together and drives out to the yard and it really sets up what what's going on uh i think or what what's what's happening for her and kind of what she does like what her role is in this community so i really liked that uh how do you feel about the ending like the way the final frame of the of the movie remind me what it is it shows them crossing back into the u.s but that's it you don't know if they get caught or if they get away with it you don't know what happens to anyone other than you know ollie got the job yep. and Def got the abortion but you don't know what happens after that how, how do you feel about that about that kind of ending i was because of the difficult subject matter i was relieved that the movie ended <laughs> uh, okay but but i mean the sunrise was or sunset was beautiful it's like this pink mm-hmm. pink purple blue um i the those i mean those kinds of endings are i mean this one's less interpretive than say like the end of inception when you're not sure whether mm-hmm. or not Cobb is in a dream um but i mean christopher nolan has said the point isn't concrete evidence whether or not Cobb was in the dream the point is that he had gotten back to his kids. And even if it was a dream, he was turning to focus on them because the kids are what he was going after the whole time to get back with them. So even if it was a dream, it was better than a dream where he's not with them. And mm-hmm. I think similarly in this movie, it's the point of like, the point isn't whether or not they get away with it. The point is that they had to do everything leading mm-hmm. up to that point. Um, and that women are disenfranchised in so many corners of the United States. And I feel like that's what she was saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that's great. What, what did you think of the men, the male characters in this movie? We haven't really, we've not, talked about the women, but not really the, the men. Yeah. Men are useless. <laughs> I mean, yeah, same. They are in this movie for sure. Me sometimes. Except Lance Reddick. He's never Except not Lance Reddick very useful. useful. Yeah. He Lance was very Reddick helpful. Was, uh, even, even, and I, and I loved, and I would have really appreciated if there was some kind of like, Ollie had to double cross him a little bit more um, because yeah. that great scene when he comes back for an unannounced visit as her parole officer and she has to which hide. happens. Everything. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, which she has to hide everything. And he almost opens the closet where she had shoved everything in. And he, you can tell there's this sort of like he's trying to do the right thing, but he's also trying to make sure that she's not doing anything illegal. Like he believes mm-hmm. in her, but he doesn't completely mm-hmm. trust her yet. And he says, I'm really proud of you while he's clearly not, not entirely believing that she's up to no, uh, up to all, everything's all hunky dory with her. Mm-hmm. And um, he's the only good male character in the movie. And even then he's like, just kind of doing his job. He is. But I th- he's having I think, a positive impact. I'm not saying he's not. Having yeah, a positive I, I think that he probably is. I think being a parole officer like that would be very difficult because you continuously see people screw up their lives because ugh, this is another thing, especially I mean, people who who this, is, this happens with people who get out of rehab, right? Like you put them back in their that same exact environment or system and they go right back to their habits. And so he who knows how many of his uh parolees get 
you know, get better, but he got to see her really improve her life. And he, he does believe in her. And I think that that is so important that we often overlook that, that we overlook that how necessary it is to have people believe in us. Even, even if we don't believe in ourselves, like having other people believe in us can really make such a huge impact on our lives. Yep. So and he, so he was the connection that got her the job in Spokane. And yes. I think that yeah. that's kind of DaCosta saying, look, like it takes a village to mm-hmm. be like a successful human being who's like useful to society and happy themselves. Um, but ultimately like Ollie had to go back to running drugs because she, she wasn't going to make enough money to sell or to save their house by making coffee and like doing people's mm-hmm. like, like you, th- that though doing those jobs just made me so mad every time. Like there was a shot of her bringing the laundry in or like handing the laundry off and giving people coffee and taking dollar bills at a time. Um, because it's like, it's just kind of like, that's what you have to do. It's like, you, you can't, you can't make uh you can't make good money you have to do something like straight mm-hmm. so not illegal it's just like it's just a terrible situation to be in you kind of feel that every time you see her doing those like odd jobs mm-hmm. yeah and and a lot of places don't hire people who have been arrested and who have some sort of criminal background even if i mean tessa thompson's character ollie's a a good person she's a hard worker it's she's not a bad person i think that there's a misconception that if someone has a criminal background they are bad and they're not necessarily so anyway well we've got about five minutes left and i feel like i could rant about all these these different things for for a significant amount of times but to save everyone's ears and uh, probably some eye rolling from people, we'll stop. Well, Isaac, I'm going to ask you within the last couple of minutes we had left, what's your favorite yeah. performance by Tessa Thompson? My favorite performance by Tessa Thompson? Movie or... Ooh, uh, this This might be top... Let me look. I don't know. What's your favorite performance? I mean, she's got... She's Valkyrie and Thor. She's great as Valkyrie. I mean, this one might be up there... She's a great dramatic actor. She's amazing in Westworld. I love her in Westworld. Mm-hmm. Captures this really kind of like brilliant, but charming, but cunning and cutthroat executive. You haven't watched Westworld, have you? I've watched like three episodes of the first se- season, but like so many things, I had to stop watching it because I was in grad school. I think what my problem was is I started way tried to start things in grad school mm-hmm. and got two episodes in and just couldn't couldn't do it so she's also in creed which yeah. i forgot about um she's she's just so good in every i haven't been disappointed or upset with anything i've seen her in have you no um i think and i just remembered this looking at her imdb but i remembered that she just or she was in um sorry to bother you and she mm-hmm. sorry to bother you is just kind of a weird movie and it gives everyone who's in it a platform to be electric and she has mm-hmm that's just really like oh my oh my gosh you're like doing yeah really doing that and it's uh it's really really good sorry to bother you is one of the most bizarre movies i've ever seen but also uh, yeah i've heard it's it's kind of bonkers yep she's in annihilation yeah. which is fantastic too mm-hmm. yeah i would say she, sorry to bother you in 
um, Annihilation are my favorite. Okay. Nice. She's also in a season of Veronica Mars, which was a CW show with Kristen Bell. <laughs> so, but um forgot into Veronica. Yeah, no, she's great in this and she's great as Valkyrie in the MCU. So yeah. and she'll show yeah, all in all. Four. So wait, I might have said Thor four earlier. I meant Thor Ragnarok. Sorry, everyone. Wow. Thor four hasn't even come out yet. Mm. Do you even watch the MCU? Have you seen how jacked Chris Hemsworth is for Thor 4? Yes, he's massive. He's almost as I'm big- kind of glad we're not talking about anything serious anymore because this was a heavy episode. I know. It was, it was heavy, but it was good. It was, it was good. good. Thank you all yeah. for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Olivia, happy late birthday. Hope you have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you. Thanks. Preesh. Preesh. Thank you, Preesh. Walter Lau, for um for overseeing this episode and giving us some some pointers as we are going along and uh we want to just let you know we'll be having this um what's going to be the next thing coming up halloween's going to be are we doing next. i was gonna say is halloween next halloween's next get ready for the oh uh, yeah over after dark commentary and also an episode with discussion from me olivia and walter and possibly eric if he is available Mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah. Can y'all hear me real quick? Yep. Yeah. What up? It's Walter jumping at the last second. Yeah. A note on the flyover after dark. We're going to have more info on that coming soon. If you want to keep up with us more, let's plug our social media, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. What's our yeah, Instagram? I don't even know. Just kidding. Our, <laughs> our Instagram is at flyover film country, and our Twitter is at, f- at flyover film co. co. It's all one word, all lowercase, no weird letters or anything like that. So mm-hmm. that's that's our, our handles on the socials. Yeah. Yep. We'll have more info about uh, Flyover After Dark coming out soon. Perfect. Yeah, that's it. That's all I had to say. Awesome. Thanks. Great. And thank you, Olivia. We'll see y'all later. Bye.